he don't get near what he deserves. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I just thought they'd make you feel comfortable. Alan, I, I do appreciate the invitation and uh, your graciousness always to ask us to come. We are really thrilled to be able to um, to be with you uh, for these few times that I feel are really critical and and very important. And um, I'd like to, um, if you don't if you don't mind, I'd like to take a personal. Uh, minute here. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, I was asked, um, or we had planned to uh, make a trip out of town to Boston, and um, <clears throat> it had been planned for several weeks, and just before we were to leave to uh, to make this trip, one of the dearest men that I ever met passed away. And um, I was not able to uh, have a part in his funeral. And um, he came and spoke for us many times here at this church, and um, I've known this man since I was in high school. We went to high school together, and he was a good man there, and was a good man all of his life. A great kingdom believer, uh, and he would call me often, and he would say, Royce, why can people not see this? And um, I guess I just never could give him a good enough answer. He kept asking me that. And this man, many of you will know, and his name is Neil Barnes. Neil was a great man. And he went to be with the Lord uh, a few days ago. And uh, I'd like to ask you to pray for his wife. She's sitting with my wife, and her name's Connie. And you pray for her as you can only imagine how lonely they are. But I want to dedicate all of the lessons that I'll bring to you in memory of Neil Barnes. I loved him dearly, and he, he was a great man. And uh, I just wanted to uh, mention this personally and want you to pray for his wife as well. Now, I'd like to uh, ask you, if you would, to turn with me to three little passages quickly. And um, it's kind of like uh, someone says, well, what will you talk about? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about. And then I'm going to tell you. And then after that, I'm going to tell you what I've told you, okay? Uh, so... Um, you, you, you remember that. And if you look with me to the first passage, it's in the Revelation chapter 21. And I want to read verse 2 out of, this, uh, out of this portion of the Lord's Word. In the Revelation chapter 21, 
and verse 2, you see the words of the Apostle John. And he said, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if you read this chapter and the next, uh, you'll see a description in part of this great city. Can you imagine what John really saw? When he saw this city, which was hundreds of miles uh, in area, uh, it had all kind of precious minerals, uh, it was a delightful place. It's hard to imagine what he saw. But then I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles also to Second Corinthians chapter 11 for a moment. Second Corinthians. And it's after chapter 11, it's in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12. And in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, It's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I knew a man which I think was he himself in Christ Jesus, uh, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, but he was caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man. And in verse uh, 4, he says, he was caught up into paradise, and he heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Can you imagine what he heard? He went into paradise in the very presence of God and he heard words uh, and this word unspeakable is, just, is it has the meaning of I'm incapable of, of telling you all of these precious, wonderful words that I heard. And then let me ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24 for a moment. And I'll, I'll, I'll like to read this with you if you'll, if you'll look there for a second. Luke chapter 24, when Jesus is, is walking um, with his um, two of these disciples, they, they didn't recognize him. And... Um, um, then he began to uh, to talk with him. And if you look down in Luke 24, verse 31, it says, Their eyes were open, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight, and then they talked one to the other. And they said, Did not our heart burn? While he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scripture, can you imagine what it'd be like for Jesus our Lord to come speak to us this morning and open up his word and tell us the real meaning? 
That's unimaginable, isn't it? You would say, Brother Royce, why are you reading these three passages? Because we've come together to have a kingdom conference this this morning. And what John saw with his eye, what Paul heard with his ear, what these disciples heard in their heart is related to the theme that we have because the Bible says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. You think the kingdom's not important? The world pays no attention to it? It is unimaginable. It is beyond anything that man has ever seen or heard or imagined in his heart. That's the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read in Matthew 25, you'll see that the Lord welcomes some of those into his presence. And he says, enter into the kingdom which was prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. Now, when you read about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, you read about Paul going into paradise and hearing all of these things, and the disciples listening to Jesus teach them the scripture, just remember, there's more. There's something greater. There is something that is unimaginable, and it is the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. When our Lord will return to put down all of the things that are evil and rule with a rod of iron when he comes again. Now, in regards to that, I want to ask you if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I want to read from the scriptures here and a little bit from Luke chapter 13 if you uh, want to follow along with us here. Let me... Let me give you uh, a few explanations as we go along. And the title of our lesson this morning is The Fee of the Kingdom. And I, I know that you think, uh, what could this possibly mean? Ne- never fear that spirit salvation is free and is given to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is solely of grace, absolutely unmerited. It is the Lord who comes into our heart and our lives when we believe. In regards to the kingdom, there's another set of rules. And in Matthew chapter 7, in the 13th verse, The Lord Jesus says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. 
Now I want to call your attention to something. In this verse, the Lord uses the word gate. He does not use the word door. And the reason being is a door is an entrance into a home or to a place. But a gate is an entrance to the city. And in regards to that, if you read in Hebrews 13, you'll see that the Scriptures tell us that Jesus our Lord was crucified outside the gate. So when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust Him as your Savior, you're on the outside of a city with a choice that you have of entering into one of two gates, the wide gate or the straight gate. And the purpose of my message this morning is to show you that if you're to enter into the kingdom, there's a toll road. When you're driving on some highways in our country, you come up to a gray gate, and you can't travel that road till you pay the price. And let me say to you this morning, many a believer will miss the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ because they refused to pay the price. They refused to enter in at the straight gate. And this is what Luke says in regards to this. He says, strive to enter in at this gate in Luke 13 and verse 24. And this word strive is an interesting word. It means to agonize. You don't have to agonize to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior for your spirit. But in order to enter into the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus and to rule and reign with Him, He's telling us there's a fee that you have to pay. It's a fee and not a price. A price can vary, but a fee is a set rate. And it's true for each one of us. It's true for all of us. Uh, We must suffer with Him if we're going to reign with Him. Paul says that we through much tribulation, and that's what this word narrow means in Matthew 7, is affliction and tribulation. And if you really want to be a ruler or a priest and king with the Lord Jesus when He comes back to this earth again, you're going to have to pay a price. It's unexceptional. Uh, It is scripturally laid out for us that those uh, who wish to love Him and who wish to live with Him will, will pay this price. Now, 
Let me, um, let me give a little further exposition here of Matthew chapter 7. The Lord says here, Straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. This word few is an exclusive word. There are not going to be few people who are actually saved. There'll be millions. But Brother Royce, how do you know that? Because people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the innocents that perished in the flood. Do you know why God partially spared the city of Nineveh when uh, Jonah preached there? Now, Jonah was like me. Jonah preached and he said, Now, God, I want you to kill him." Preacher, you had never felt, Yes, sirree. You just don't know. You may be one of them. But uh, God told Jonah... There are thousands that don't know their left hand from their right hand there. There'll be many people saved in spirit. Few will enter in because they do not wish to pay the fee. Now, one of the things that the Lord reminds us of in Matthew chapter 7 here is given in verses 15 through verse 20. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, if you compare Luke chapter 13 with Matthew chapter 7, it's a, it's a little bit different. And in Luke 13, the Scriptures tell us that there will be men who will say, We've eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But Jesus will say, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. He says the same thing in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 23. But let me warn you. He's saying they'll mingle among you, these false prophets will. They're pseudo-prophets. Well, what are they, Brother Royce? Who are these false prophets that we need to be aware of? Paul warned about this in Acts chapter 20. He said there'll be grievous wolves that will come in among you seeking to devour you. And this word grievous is mentioned again in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when Paul says to Timothy, we are living in perilous or grievous times. And then he lists 18 things 
that will describe the conditions before the Lord's return. And if you break 18 down to sixes, it's three sixes. It's the spirit of the age. Do you know something that's interesting? If you look in Luke chapter 17, he talks about the Lord's coming. And in Luke chapter 17, he tells us as it was in the days of Noah, in verse 27. He tells us in verse 28, as it was in the days of Lot. And I've mentioned this before to you. If you mentioned Noah in the days before the flood, why would he not mention Abraham after that? He mentions Lot. He's describing the conditions of the times before his coming. Abraham was a great man of faith. But if you look down to verse 8 in chapter 18, the Lord Jesus says, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? So what's he saying to us? He continues here. And he says in verse 32 of chapter 17 in Luke, Remember Lot's wife. You may be able to apply that in our lives very easily. But read read what he says next. I tell you in that night there shall be two men in the bed, one taken, the other left. Two women grinding together, one taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, one taken and the other left. And the Lord says, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. It's dead. It's a dead body. Do you know what my opinion is in regards to this? Jesus is telling us that there will be a prevalence of same-sex union. You ever heard of that? We're living in the days of apostasy. We're living in the days of the denial of the Lord's Word. And, you know, I know this is not kosher, but... I ain't kosher anyway. Uh, When the president of a nation claims that this is okay, we're in a lot of trouble. Well, do you know what's sad about this in Luke 17? It means believers will be participants in it. One's taken, the other's left. Did you know that our young generation accepts this? What's wrong with this? 
Each sexual perversion is a detriment to the plan of God in relation to his people, the Jew, and the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus. Well, preacher, I don't think this has anything to do with that. Reckon, do you think that God ever joins two men together? Well, you're wrong, he does. And this is simply Satan's attempt to mock that. First of all, same-sex unions can't fulfill what God has told man to do, multiply and replenish the earth. They can't do that. And the next thing is this. Did you know that the Lord's going to come back and deal with Israel, His people, uh, the people that Mike spoke about this morning in the class? When He's coming back, according to Romans 11, is in the fullness of the Gentiles. If Satan can deter the number that is being produced and saved, it will delay the fullness of the Gentiles. And I know, I know you think I'm a smart aleck by saying that God does this, but if you'll look with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 39, and you, you can look there... There's two sticks. And these two sticks are two tribes of the children of Israel that are now separated. And what God does is He unites them. So don't say that God don't ever unite two. (laughs) I won't charge you anything for that, but... um, just think before you speak. And I'm not trying to be ugly. and I I am ugly, but I'm trying not to be. (laughs) It is an attempt to thwart the plan of the Lord. Now then, Look back with me uh, quickly to uh, Matthew chapter 7, and and I want to mention uh, a couple of things here. In verse 15, when the Lord says these false prophets um, are, there are three categories here. One, One is the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. And did you know, by the way, that the sheep are going to win? Oh, but preacher, they, they're, they're dead here. Yeah, but they're still going to win. Because if you read in Isaiah chapter 11, the wolves are going to have to lay down with the lambs in the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus. So the sheep are going to win. 
even if the wolves eat them up. And then you'll notice in verse 16, sometimes Jesus uses extremes, but he never exaggerates. And why would you think that he would say, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Now, if you were one of the disciples of the Lord and you're sitting there with him, do you think that'd be an insult to your intelligence? You know, you know better than that. Why does he use this illustration? Why does he say, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? The thorns and the thistles are a result of the curse. Someday, that curse that the Lord put on the ground will be lifted. And do you know what will be prevalent? Every man will sit under his own vine tree and under his own fig tree. And Jesus is saying here, and let me, let me really be soft in saying this to you. There are bad conditions in the world, but politicians will never solve this problem. The problem is in the pulpits of America. They don't believe the Word of God. Oh, but you'd say, preacher, surely you... No, they don't. And believe me, believe me, I've found this out in the past few years. I have a bad place on my leg here. You'd say, well, what? It's where my wife hits me. We sit, we sit in a church just a, a, a while back, and this preacher says, well, I'm a, I, I'm a little fuzzy about this thousand-year reign. I, I, don't, I don't see all of that, you know. And he says, why in the world would I want to come back to this whole world, you know? And I just could not help it. And I said, you probably won't. <laughs> And I got a pounding. <laughs> it embarrassed my wife. I'm sorry I embarrassed her, but I just couldn't help it. I, out loud, I said, you probably won't. And if you could, well. Then you'll notice in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 7, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit or evil fruit. And what this is in verse 18, 
It's the story of two trees. Just like it was in Eden. And what the Lord's trying to call our attention to is the deception that's taking place. Did you know that the scriptures tell us after the rapture of the church that the Lord will send strong delusion and they'll believe a lie? And those conditions exist in our society today. We must, as believers, and especially as believers who are interested in the coming ruling and reigning of the Lord Jesus, return to a strong, deep, ever-present study of the Lord's Word. Nothing I say is perfect, but God's Word will endure forever. And then let me um, let me continue over in um, verse twenty one, and you may have trouble with with this in regards to um, the Lord. They'll say, "Lord, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father." And then these people will say, Lord, uh, have we not prophesied, cast out demons, and done many wonderful works? Do you know what the word ravening in verse 15 really means? An extortioner. A robber. One who is stealing from you. You would say, a preacher, I don't know, have you turned your TV on lately? Let me caution you. Activity will not give you the fee to enter into the kingdom. It's not activity that the Lord wants. What He wants is obedience to His will. Well, preacher, we're going to work. Read the parable in Matthew 20. There are people who worked 12 hours and people who only worked one hour. Do you know who the most valuable people were? The people who worked one hour. But how do you know that? Because he paid them more. They remained in the place of availability until the Master called them to do His will. Do you know what the Lord's will is for your life? Let me ask you, to think about this for a minute. In this 23rd verse of Matthew 7, 
the Lord said, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. This word knew is a word of intimacy, which I'm sure you've heard. If you read Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that Joseph knew not Mary until after Jesus was born. Does this mean he wasn't acquainted with her? Of course not. It means he was not intimate with her. And when we're talking about the narrow way, it's a constrained way. It's a way that presses you from both sides. What keeps us going? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the love of Christ constraineth me. And that's what keeps you going. Do you love the Lord Jesus this morning? Do you really have intimacy with Him? Without that, you'll be excluded. You'll be saved, but you'll be excluded of the privilege of ruling and reigning with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to close by uh, giving you two passages of Scripture, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And I'd like to read um, verse 13 through verse 17. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcised of your uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to sin, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, drink, holy day, or new moon, or Sabbath days. These are a shadow of things to come. You read in Hebrews 10 that the Lord Jesus came to do the will of the Lord. There is no better example of doing the Lord's will than following the Lord Jesus. It is the key to entrance into the kingdom. If we don't suffer with him, we won't reign with him. But look at this verse in verse 15 of Colossians 2. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, 
triumphing over them. And he's talking about the cross. Did you know that that's hard to understand? You know, when you think about triumph, you think about marching through the city and there's a confetti parade and people are honoring you. This didn't happen. Jesus is beaten. He's mocked and he's made fun of. How in the world could Paul say that he made an open show of them and that he triumphed over them? That don't make sense. It's applicable in the context of what I've told you. Do you know how he triumphed over them? When Jesus was on the cross, how did he triumph over them? The Bible says in Psalms 22 that they gnashed on him with their teeth. He was bleeding. And here's the most important aspect of doing the Lord's will. He didn't come down. When they mocked him and said, If you're the Son of God, save us. He was the Son of God. If you are the Christ, come down. But He didn't. And my brothers and sisters this morning, the greatest aspect of doing the Lord's will is this. Not doing what you are fully capable of doing in order to remain in God's will. And that's how he triumphed over them. That's how he made an open show of them. They said, well, if you're who you say you are, prove it. Come down. But doing the Lord's will is going to expose you to all manner of suffering. But you'd say, preacher, that's the cross. That has nothing to do with the kingdom. It has everything to do with the kingdom. Did you know that the Lord gives us the kingdom message all over the cross? Did you know that the thief on the cross asked the Lord Jesus, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. He didn't ask him to save him spiritually. He said, Lord, when you come in your second coming, when you come in your kingdom, but did you know that he didn't answer him? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. But he didn't promise him a place in the kingdom. You can't wait till the last hour of your life 
to dedicate your life to the Lord Jesus and expect Him to reward you. And if you'll read this passage in Colossians chapter 2, you'll see in verse 18, He says, Let no man beguile you of your reward. And He's speaking about a reward. Did you know when they placed a crown of thorns on the Lord's head that His blood touched those thorns? Do you know what that means? It means one day that the curse on this earth will be redeemed and changed because of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Did you know they drove nails in His hands? In Isaiah 22, it says that He'll be a nail in a sure place and that He'll have the key of David and open the treasures. And that's kingdom teaching. Oh, but preacher, that Roman soldier threw a spear. Yeah, but that's still kingdom teaching. There was blood on that spear. And the power of the blood will see to it that one day men will beat their spears into pruning hooks. Then you say, but they gambled for his clothing. And they took his vesture. Yeah, but that's still kingdom teaching. Because one day our Lord Jesus Christ will open the heavens and will come forth riding on a great white horse. And He'll be King of kings and Lord of lords. And what He'll be wearing is a vesture dipped in blood. Oh, but you would say, it'd get old, you know. You know, poor God... Poor God. He has such a hard time. Men say God couldn't possibly listen to the thousands of people who pray every day. But some rank hippie who is now dead and knows better can invent a little bitty thing with hundreds and thousands of songs and words on it, and poor God can't listen to His people. It's amazing, isn't it? Are we doing the Lord's will? Let me close by saying this. If you do the Lord's will, there's just one way. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto the Lord which is your reasonable service whereby I don't want you to be conformed to this world but conformed unto the Lord And you can know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The good will of God 
is seeing that there is a work for the future to be done. The acceptable will of God is accomplishing and doing that work. The perfect will of God is to receive a crown for that which you have done. If you want an application of that, look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says, The time of my departure is at hand, which is the first part. And then he says, I have fought a good fight. I've accomplished the work. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. And whether whether you believe this or not, my prayer for each person in this room, my desire is that you will be pleasing to our Lord and that you will enter into the time when Jesus will come to rule and reign. The kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ will be your finest hour. Don't miss it. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. I pray that you'd use the little words we've spoken in a most meaningful way. Thank you for Alan's invitation. Thank you for the friendship that Alan and I have. I pray for the rest of this conference. And I pray that these dear, precious old friends that we've not seen in a while would be blessed by a few of these words. Have your way and accomplish that which is pleasing to thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you a lot for the opportunity.